All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Brooklyn Boxing Podcast. I'm Pat Healy, and I'm joined with Dino Spencer, co-owner of the famous Fifth Street Gym in South Beach. How's it going? Very good. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, excited to talk some boxing with you. I know you got a lot of fighters in the gym now. Um, and then obviously we got to talk about some of the history of the gym. Um, congrats on 10 year anniversary, right? The other day of the gym reopening. Yes, we, uh, actually, we got our license to open the gym on September the 10th. And, uh, we had a grand opening party with Muhammad Ali, uh, Angel Dundee and, there was countless world champions in the gym, and they didn't come to see me. They came to see they came to see Mohammed and Angelo. But uh, it was a, it was the most exciting night maybe in my life. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I was just reading a little bit about the the backstory of the reopening, and um, you know, you guys had to change locations, correct? We've had to change a, a few times actually. The rent in South Beach is ridiculous. Um, the space is so limited in South Beach. Um, we could be in Miami. But it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be, you know, so now we're on Fifth Street, just a few blocks away from the original gym. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, it must have been like such a range of emotions to reopen it. And now it's already been 10 years. I'm sure those have uh, gone by fast, right? I mean. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's been, it's been fast and, and difficult. It, you know, it's not, you know, it's not the, it's hard, it's a hard I try to find this blend of regular people and pro fighters because I really feel that successful regular people, and when I say regular, I mean not professional fighters, not fighters of any kind, their life experience, their education, all the things that they, they have a lot to offer, especially if they're not in the fight game. They have a lot to offer fighters um, where their regular managers, the regular guys that are in boxing, you know, they're not very genuine. They've been burned out themselves. They've been burned by so many boxers that they do everything they can to make a living in boxing without getting burned by another boxer. And they wind up being very jaded and burning a lot of boxers. So I've created this system here where my clients who pay like $175 or $200 for private lessons um, are working out next to the professional fighters and they've developed some kind of connection. And many times, my clients wind up sponsoring the fighters and they don't want anything for it. They're successful on their own. They're not trying to feed their family by getting a few dollars off a boxer. So they're very genuine in their, in their help. They're very genuine in their financial support and in their mentoring to try to make sure that if these guys do make a few dollars, they're not going to blow it all to make sure they can buy themselves a house and make sure they get their taxes paid, you know, opposed to there's so many guys out there. You've heard the stories where the managers make sure they get all of their money and then some. And by the right. time the fighter buys himself a new, uh, you know, sports car and a, and a gold watch, he's got nothing left and the IRS is knocking on his door. So um, it's been, it, it has worked out really well, but it's been very challenging because a lot of people that want to pay $200 a session don't want to work out in an old fashioned boxing gym. So <laughs> I, I, I found some particular people that are, you know, are very passionate and hardcore people, but their, their passion and success has come through being an accountant or being a doctor or a surgeon or a lawyer or an actor or a model. And uh, they don't want to go to the local health club that is very sanitary. Um, they want to come and, and really, you know, really get, get serious. And it allows both of them to excel. So far, so good. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, uh, uh, most people probably don't realize like how fighters are you know, independent contractors. And, you know, when they get that, that check 
um, the taxes aren't already allotted for. So it's like, they think, Oh, I got the, I got the check going to buy some, you know, new watch, new whatever. And then at the end of the year when they got to pay taxes, they run into trouble. I know there's been some interviews of uh, some MMA guys actually more recently that have kind of touched on that. Um, but that's awesome that you're doing that. I mean, it's uh, you know, these fighters need it. It's not like they have um, you know, a pro league per se behind them that can kind of, help support with that and it's a wild there's no, there's no fighters union and, and i don't think there ever will be so in the meantime we we me you people that have some semblance of a heart have to look out for these guys yeah 100 percent. and and you know as you mentioned now the gym um has people from all different backgrounds not just pro fighters but obviously you know the the origin story of fifth street gym was very much a a fighter's gym um obviously so many classic uh names gone through the gym most notably ali and angelo dundee obviously and his brother um and that's something i was really curious about hearing more from you is um hearing more about angelo dundee's brother chris who was really instrumental in promoting um fights in in miami right and getting in getting the fight scene going yeah he promoted the the fight when he beat liston you know it's like um it's like 12 blocks from here at the convention center uh, it, I think the convention center has been remodeled now, knocked down, but just like the old gym, they knocked down before people start like really saving things and really, you know, paying attention to old fashioned stuff. Um, they knocked down the original fifth street gym building. When we opened, we opened up in the same address, but not in the same building because they tore it down. But uh, Chris Dundee was much older than Angelo and he kind of hired his younger brother. He barely knew the guy. Um, he moved out of the house long long before Angelo really grew up. So uh, he hired him for a, really a few dollars a week and he was living, Angelo was living in the gym. Uh, the great Angelo Dundee that eventually went on to make a lot of money was really started with very, very humble beginnings. And he didn't really train any fighters, right? Until he was actually in Miami, right? He, he started out really just kind of observing and being more of like a bucket guy. And then, well, that's, that's how he started in New York as a bucket guy. And he just, but a bucket guy that was in the corner for some every, every week, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. You know, right. now I try, I volunteer to work cuts at the bare knuckle fights. Yeah. Um, I volunteer to work cuts and rep hands at MMA fights. I try to get in every corner, any corner I can. My wife and, and daughter makes them crazy that I'm going for, you know, a, a few dollars, but every chance you, every time you're in a fight, there's something to be learned from it. Um, the, you know, whether it be just the way a guy wants his hands wrapped, you know, he might tell, you, you know, I want more pad here or more or less there, and he'll have a reason for it. And you'll pick something up from that, which will make you more prepared for your fighters. The, the hand wraps within the bare knuckle, obviously the bare knuckle scene is kind of booming right now. And it's, you know, there's what a lot a sport. of, yeah, there's what a, a sport. A lot of ex uh, UFC guys and boxers, of course, Pauly Malignaggi more recently. But how do they wrap? Um, is there a specific? They wrap only the back of the hand. Where in in boxing, where you're allowed to put the tape, right, is where you're allowed to put the tape. Where the gauze would go, the pad on the front of the knuckles is non-existent. So it just goes. Uh, if you can see me, can you see me? Yep. yep. Yeah, it, the tape goes up to here. So like two inches below the knuckles is where the tape just to support the back of the hand. And it's straight bare on skin on skin, bone on bone. Yeah. And there's no, there's very little bad judging because either people get stopped for a cut or people get stopped, knocked out. And there's no grappling. 
which I'm a big fan of Brazilian jiu-jitsu itself as a sport itself. But when I'm watching MMA, it can tend to be boring when two guys are only grappling. So um, I find that a lot of my clients and students and even the fighters, um, the boxers that are traditionalists will watch bare knuckle boxing because they, they know someone's going to get cracked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, un, it's unavoidable and it's really, you know, it's a smaller ring also like the, with the guard, um, when guys have their hands up, you know, it's not, it's not gloves. You're not going to be able to deflect a lot of shots there. Um, but it's interesting to hear about the actual wraps themselves. Like I've, I've watched some of the fights and, um, you would just expect there to be more eye pokes, you know, that's a big issue within MMA. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they they don't, they really are wasting their time with their hands open because you're going to get disqualified and that could have been a good shot with the bare knuckle. You know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a great shot. It'll still be a good shot because it's, bone on bone, skin on skin. Louis Palomino, baboon, is my fighter. He won the bare knuckle FC fighting championship at 155 pounds. We were in um, Mississippi. It was supposed to be in Florida where he sells a ton of tickets and uh, they couldn't get it approved for, for audience, but yet they had 50% audience there and uh, it was a great experience. It was awesome. We won the fight in 45 seconds. It was great. Have you, have you had to deal with any um, cuts? Yeah, not with Baboon, no, thank God, but as a, just a cut man for, um, for a different organization, I worked just the Blue Corner, and the Blue Corner were the guys that were flown in to, to you know, not, they were not the A side, they were definitely the B side. They might have been the C side, that's how bad the Blue Corner was that night, and uh, they put me to work, it was great, it was great experience, you know, again, all the more experience for me for my, you know, for my boxers. And, and based on, I mean, it seems like common sense, right? But within the bare knuckle, I mean, the cuts just are much more common and, and probably worse, right, than anything else. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of them. In the, right. in the, in the time that it was a lot of them, instead, you know, instead of a guy coming to corner with one, he's got three. And you're working simultaneously on three at the same time, which uh, is, is super challenging. And uh, it, it, you know, just going to make me a better cornerman. Yep. And uh, so you're obviously have a diverse background within – boxing corners, bare knuckle, MMA. Um, but you're also, you know, a martial artist yourself and, you know, a black belt in, in Shaolin Kung Fu, right? Correct? And also, it, you know, we had a kind of a unique, uh, we did San Shao, you know, Chinese kickboxing. And uh, I had a really strange instructor that would take us to judo tournaments and get us dropped on our head. And then that following Monday, he'd bring a judo coach and be like, okay, now you, I'd be like, you should have you could have brought this guy in last week he's like yeah but you, you don't respect it like you do now so now you respect it now you'll you'll learn with an open mind like yeah an open mind and a bad back <laughs> and did you start out in martial arts or or, or boxing I did. As, a, yeah, as a five-year-old child i went to the kung fu school and that's how it started but uh that he did the same thing he took us to the like uh to amateur boxing tournaments um clueless no idea what we were doing and then he brought a boxing coach in from the local park district and had us go there twice a week to work on our hands. And that's how that whole thing evolved. Um, and I had a fighter named Carl Davis Jr. That was uh, ranked as a cruiserweight. Um, he was, he wanted to learn Kung Fu. He played professional football in Canada. He broke his ankle. He wanted to learn Kung Fu for, to get his ankle back so he could play football again. And one thing led to another and he had knockout power. And I said, as a kickboxer in the nineties, you're not going to make any money. We switched from the boxing. He won the Chicago Golden Gloves a couple times with many knockouts. He turned pro. He never threw a punch when I met him at 26 years old. And he had a, a reasonable pro career. And it gave me my start, really, training and, and uh, coaching professional fighters. 
Okay. So yeah, that's what I was curious about with like the background in Chicago. And, you know, I was reading a little bit about your time with, uh, you know, Andre Arzlowski as well with uh, UFC. And that was uh, a great, that was a great experience. He would come by us um, for, again, with my partner, his name was Dino was actually his original jiu-jitsu coach. And that, that guy was a great coach and really got him situated. But uh, when we worked on his hands with him, we, and he brought in other coaches. They had a management team that was um, from Russia, and they were all about, like, bringing somebody else in, bringing somebody else in. There was a lot of cooks to spoil the soup. Um, but Andre kept his head and kept his focus and, you know, became the world champion. He got knocked out his first MMA fight. The kid, right. he really doesn't have a chin per se. No. He's a tough guy that's not afraid of anything. And a lot of guys get knocked out, and it, like, you know, messes them up psychologically. Andre does not care. He comes back, you know, better and stronger than ever. Um, at some point, you get to be too old, obviously, but it's not because he's afraid of anything. That guy is a tough guy inside and out. Yeah, I mean, he was one of my favorite guys, like, watching, uh, especially in his in his younger days. And, um, you know, when you were training with him, he was obviously very young because, I mean, I think he was the youngest heavyweight UFC champion ever. Yes. I think – I can't remember exact age, but – I would say what twenty three something like that. I mean, yeah. when he won the title, it was twenty three. Yeah. Um, so when you had him, I mean, he must have been pretty green, right? I mean, I don't know what his background was in terms of yeah, mixed martial arts, or he had some kind of samba background. Basically, he did a little bit of MMA in Russia. I told you guys his first or Belarus. He got his first uh, first fight. He got knocked cold. Um, yeah, he was he was just big and strong. And athletic. him and Carl Davis used to spar all the time, and and you know it was at his disadvantage, obviously. Carl was both only boxing. So while he was spending, you know, 66% of his time not boxing, Carl was only boxing. And Carl had big power. So it was very – he also sparred a lot with Fresno Kendo. So he was sparring with really high-level boxers. And that really was the secret to the success. It wasn't some special mitt drill or all that nonsense. It was – he was sparring with high-level boxers. So it gave him the opportunity to, to be successful with his hands uh, in MMA. Yeah, I mean, he had a great career, obviously, still going. Um, he's one he of the- actually was, He was just at the gym a couple of days ago, and I just oh, missed really? him. Yeah, so I guess I, I train a, a, a wrestler. Uh, his name is Dimitri, and Dimitri is, uh, is really close friends with um, the camp from um, um, Khabib. And, uh, and for some reason, we're all going on a private jet on Wednesday. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> But me and Andre and Dimitri and Khabib's manager are all going on a private jet, and uh, I don't know where, what's going to happen. But ho- hopefully, I come back. No way. Is it uh, his manager? Was it uh, Abdel? Ad- Ad- I can't pronounce his name, but yeah, not the one you see in everything. I guess his business partner. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I wonder where you guys are headed. I mean, Khabib is obviously training for uh, you know a big fight against Justin yeah. Gate. Um, and and I guess they manage both sides. They manage A and B. Yeah, they do. They yeah, do. so they're so they're very excited because it's a win-win. Yeah, all the money's in the same pot. There you go. Um, but yeah, so that's great to hear about like your time in Chicago, and then obviously that eventually led you back uh, to Miami and the Fifth Street Gym, and you know you're training a bunch of fighters there currently. And there's a guy um, that I'm curious to hear more about, um, and that's uh, Scardini or yeah, Scardina from, yeah. from Italy, the Italian yeah. fighter undefeated he came here on a vacation once and uh he was just fresh out of the world series of boxing and he asked me if i would hold pads for him i said no i i really only have time 
for my clients and for professionals. He said, I want to turn professional. I said, when you're ready, you come see me. He came a year later, um, ready to move to Miami and commit to being a professional boxer. I got a sponsor to sponsor him and uh, pay for his basic necessities. He lives a few blocks from the gym. And nobody that I've ever seen in my life works harder than this guy. This guy never misses a workout, never takes a round off. It's, it's unbelievable. He sparred with, with James DeGale, and um, he sparred with many, many world champions. And if they want to go 11 rounds, he wants to go 12. He, he just, as a psychological thing, he's like, ask me if I can go one more. And they're like, we scheduled 10. That's enough. Like, well, you're, you're crazy, kid. He, um, he is determined. And right now he's on Dancing with the Stars in Italy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's very, very popular. His social media has grown beyond belief. And uh, he's there doing Dancing with the Stars. It's in a little delay because he caught Corona. So they put him in a two-week – he had no symptoms, but they put him in a two-week hiatus from practicing with his dance partner. Um, but he will uh, finish that. If he, if he does really well, he'll finish in November. Be back here at the end of November for Thanksgiving. And then we'll train two months, and then he'll fight again in uh, January. And, and what do you think is next for him? I know at, at this time, right, he's a 16-0, and 0, Daniel Scardina, for the people who want to check him out. But, um, yeah, he's, he's actually 18-0. and 0. He's number 14, I think, in the IBF and the WBA. Um, you know, everything is kind of in limbo right now with everything. Yeah. He's, you know, with being the top 15, he's qualified to fight for a world title. That being said, um, I would, I would jump, we would jump at the opportunity if somebody out there, if one of the champs thinks they can beat him. With, you know, they better come in shape. They better come committed. They better not underestimate him because he takes every every minute of every round very seriously. He'll come very prepared. So he's limited on experience. He's got 18 professional fights, and uh, he is uh, doesn't have a lot of doesn't have a lot of insurance uh, amateur fights at all. So he's got not a lot of experience. But in the gym, he's been with everybody. He's been with every champ he can get his hands on, and uh, he's ready and waiting. Is he a natural 168, or or is he? Could he go down to 160 as well? I'm just kind of. He's curious. a natural. He's a natural 200 pounder <laughs> that uh, busts his ass with diet and exercise to fight it, and then when he actually steps in the ring, he's about 179. Okay. So he makes weight 168. With the IBF, you got to make they they only allow you 10 pounds the next day. Um, okay. So yeah. you know that's like in the morning. He's like exactly 178, and then he has lunch. So maybe he's 180, but uh, he's a big guy. He's over six feet tall. He's a, he's a big, big guy. Yeah, because there's a lot of – there's obviously, you know, as you know, there's a lot of really quality guys with from 160 to 168, which is good, right? I mean, there's a lot of options for him in the future and a, a lot of, a lot of um, you know, really good matchups. Uh, yes. Him. I mean, he's got, a, he's got a something about him, a certain star quality that uh, – the zone really loved them. I know the zone is now, I guess they're not in boxing anymore, I guess, but yeah. uh, you know, it just, he just, he just got to do his job, stay in shape, stay healthy. You know, there's so many fighters get life, get sidetracks them. And I don't think life will sidetrack them. I think if they're going to have to beat them, they have to beat them fair and square in the ring. Well, that's awesome. Everyone listening, make sure to go check him out on Instagram and, and follow his career. I think he's going to be um, definitely making some big, big uh, splashes soon. Not, not um, to mention, he's got the prettiest girlfriends that anyone's ever seen. So, as it I went goes, on his Instagram look, and I said, "Man, this yeah. guy—he's got a good life right now." <laughs> yeah, if you look back at his old ones, he's got different girls as as he goes along. So it's very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's awesome. Everyone, go check him out.
Um, but also, you know, I, it'd be remiss if I didn't mention or talk about, um, obviously, your time with Angelo Dundee and Muhammad Ali. And, and um, you know, I'd love to just hear some stories about those guys. And obviously, just to be able to know such an icon, um, Ali, you know, it's just like, that's crazy to even, you know, that you had a personal relationship with him. Yeah, it is crazy. My friend Tom, who started the gym with me, who was Fresno Kendall's manager, was really like Muhammad's best friend the last like four or five years that he was with us. Um, his uh, his sister-in-law uh, was like his caretaker. And um, they were, the three of them were like the three musketeers the last few years. They were together all the time. And when Muhammad takes his medicine to be in public to shake less, it tightens up his throat as well. And he can't speak. But when he's home, shaking a lot, but also talking a lot, we got great stories and great fun and uh, autographs and pictures. He drew pictures for us. And, and just, we, I mean, a great time. I was having lunch with him once. It was just me, him, and his sister-in-law. And um, we were having lunch. And uh, I, I read a, a tweet that said, um, Klitschko is in a comp. I mean, I'm sorry, Lennox Lewis is coming to retirement to fight Klitschko for $100 million. And without skipping a beat, Mohammed said, for $100 million, I'll fight both of them. <laughs> I'm sure he meant it, too. Yeah, I'm sure he did. I'm <laughs> sure he did. He was, a, he was the best, man. He really was. Uh, we, we watched cowboy movies at his house uh, for hours on end, like three in a row. Um, just He's, he's great. He, Wouldn't he, he talk a lot clearly, of he clearly flirted with girls a third of his age until the very end. <laughs> until the very end. He clearly was hitting on chicks. It was, just, and he meant it. And they were, in, and they were enamored by him. They were not, they were like, they were, they were like staring into his eyes. I mean, he had, he had it going on until the last minute. Yeah. I mean, like just looking back at old videos of him, uh, like in the fifth street gym before the Sonny Liston matchup and, um, there's just so many iconic moments and like, he was such a special person, regardless of how he was as a fighter. It was like his gift of gab was just unmatched. I mean, we haven't seen anything like that before. So it's, it's great to hear that he was like that even, you know, in his, in his last years. And, and, um, you know, when he was talking to you guys, like, I guess when he was at home, did he ever, did he ever talk about boxing per se like today like was he a fan still or was he yeah for sure because we would we, you know we would ask him or we would put the fights on we, you know we'd watch the fights with him so we'd put yeah. him on and you know and uh and he would you know play around and move his head around and you know and and yeah you know we weren't I mean we weren't you know analyzing we're just you know it's hard because you're so happy to just be sitting in the room with the guy you don't right. want to ruin it for him right you know, you're thinking to yourself like of course you want to know like what does he think but you don't want to <laughs> interview him yeah. And, you know what? Just enjoy the fights. He watched all sporting events for that matter, though. He was into sports in general. Um, he really supported the University of Louisville, um, the Redbirds. He was he watched their football team every chance he got. He's a very well-rounded guy. He was he did a lot of stuff and had had friends. You know, he just had friends everywhere. And, and we, we were at his house. Celebrities would just pop in, knock on the door, and be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I'm sitting in the kitchen with these two guys." It was just it was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's a crazy icon. So I'd imagine, yeah, if I was in your shoes, I probably wouldn't want to say anything too. I'd just be happy that I'm there. Yeah, you don't want to, I don't want to get kicked out, so I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> um, but his daughter as well, like more recently, um, obviously she had a good or great career, but, um, you know, she was mentioning potentially a comeback versus Clarissa Shields. And, um, 
Do you think there's any legit legitimacy to that or her coming back or not really? I, I, I wouldn't if I were her, not that she can't not necessarily win because women I feel um, that are, are really much stronger later there. I think their physical potential is reached a little later. So it's not like she's, she's not a hundred, you know? So um, I don't think that that's, but I just, I just don't think getting punched in your face for other, anything other than the necessity is really good unless you have such unless you just can't live without it you really shouldn't you shouldn't do it you know I, I have guys in here all the time and they're like I'm going to college and I'm coming here and I'm you know in the middle of my med school I'm like what are you doing <laughs> like you know and, and I don't mean financially I mean if they, they just have a need if you really need to do it then you should do it and you should do it all the way until the end until they drag you out of the ring so you're not 50 years old regardless of the size of your house or the size of your car, or the size of your bank account, not wishing you woulda, shoulda, coulda. That's not the point. But if you don't have that feeling, um, you really shouldn't, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's a lot of the conversation, right, around Tyson and everything going on with him. It's like he recently was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he looks phenomenal. He has a crazy mindset again, talking like, how he's he said he's like sexually aroused thinking about fighting he's like is that normal i'm like joe's like no i don't think so <laughs> but, but like that just speaks to his mindset i mean he's he's like full-on savage ready to go he looks phenomenal and it's like it's a weird situation because yeah. these are older guys you don't want to see anyone get really hurt but you see Tyson move around and that's not your average 53 year old or whatever it is. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe something is possible for him to do pull off. It is, but I don't know what, like if he beats Roy Jones Jr. People say he should have beat Roy Jones Jr. Right. If he loses to Roy Jones Jr. People are really going to criticize that he did it. Uh, you know, unless he were to fight someone that was like a contender, I don't know the, I don't, I don't know the point for me. You know, I, we all have such people, people have memories of Mike being actually better than he was. I mean, when it came down to it, we fought the really top, top fighters for whatever reason, because he had a bad wife or a bad life or was on drugs. Like he says, he lost, he lost to Lewis. He lost to, uh, to Holyfield. I mean, you know, you, in order to be considered great, you got to beat the great ones, even if it's at the end of their careers. Um, and he didn't. So, um, but people of people of my age between like I'm 49, I was in high school when he was the world champ and people that are a little bit younger and just a little bit older, they have such great memories of him. I have a dozen kids that come to the gym from all over the world with Mike Tyson tattooed on them. <laughs> Daniele's got Mike Tyson tattooed on him. <laughs> but he doesn't even, and I said, how could you tattoo a guy that lost to Lennox Lewis in Holyfield? I, you know, of course I gave him a hard time. I was like, you should have those guys. They won. They're like, oh, he's not like Mike. You know, so people, I, I don't think the, the, the ones out there that look at him like that should see him any more than the way they, the way they remember him. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw the comments Teddy Atlas had about Tyson's career, but it was pretty interesting what he said. And he was kind of comparing him to Ali in the sense that when Tyson really – he was like, look, Tyson's really been in five fights. And his point was that in the moments where he had some pushback or he wasn't just steamrolling guys, that's when he had, he ran into issues. And that's when, you know, he ran into, you know, the real deal Holyfield. And he was, maybe he wasn't 
the guy he thought he was. Um, that's what Teddy Atlas's take was. But it was interesting to hear him say that. And then obviously on the other side with Ali, um, a lot of the – I mean, people love him for so many reasons. But also when he lost, he came back and got the win back. And, and it was like that comeback of like just that never quit, never die spirit and, and overcoming is kind of what separates them in terms of you know, at, the, at the very end with Muhammad, we went out and uh, the last time I spent time with him and uh, we walked and he kind of used my hand like a cane. And uh, it was really difficult for him to walk. And he just squeezed my hand and made it happen. And to see something, you could see that that was the guy that was in the rumble of the jungle with George Foreman all up on him on the ropes and he was just never gonna you could just i'm getting goosebumps thinking about it he was never gonna give up you know it's 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 unbelievable i'm getting i'm getting choked up thinking about it yeah i mean when you watch those old fights it's like i i, I like watching those back from time to time because it's just like is this real is he really taking this much damage like he's just he's taking all everything these guys got for 15 rounds even like in the thrill of gloves. The, you know, those gloves are, are terrible. Yeah, the gloves look like they're like they're terrible. Yeah. They look like you, they bought them at Walgreens. <laughs> like from a kid, like you know, like they're they're filled with horsehair. When horsehair gets wet, it is dangerous. It is unbelievable. It's it, uh, the, what they went through, you know, with him and Frazier and him and Foreman. Wow. Yeah, it's just. Uh, you, we we hope as boxing fans that we can get some of that magic back. It will never be like Ali. But, um, you know, it's good that recently in the heavyweight division, you know, we got Wilder and Fury, their first matchup. You got to give both those guys, like, all the credit in the world. Oh, I love it. It was love just it. an iconic moment that was made with Fury getting up off the deck, um, just like a, a, an iconic round. And then, obviously, Fury kind of steamrolled him, surprisingly. Um, at least on my end, I was shocked by that um, in the second fight. And they they got the trilogy coming up. Yeah, Fury is an unbelievable. I mean, he's great. I mean, obviously, there's only one Ali. But that being said, this guy is great on the microphone, great yeah. in an interview, great at the press conference, great in the ring, and has the ability to come back when the chips are down. That's pretty – you know, that those are a lot of great attributes uh, for a fighter. And he's really technical. He does a lot of good things. Um, I really, as the heavyweight division goes, boxing goes. So it's good for all of us involved as fans, as a, the uh, profession. I have a heavyweight named Christian Toon, who's six foot nine, two hundred and sixty-nine pounds. He's five and zero, oh, and uh, you know we 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 really study study uh, the the Gypsy King. We study him. And there's a lot to learn from him. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's great. He, you know, he, and there's no there's no secret about it. You know, you see that you, you can see him spar if you want to, you can watch the fights. He's very open about what he does. There's no secret punch he's working on. <laughs> he's just out there doing what he's doing. He's moving his feet, he's moving his head. He's jabbing a lot. He's doing the basics of boxing really good. A lot of fakes. He does some really good things. He does them so good that you go, Deontay Wilder can watch that tape all he wants. And he's, I don't think he can do anything about it. Yeah. Well, the one thing a lot of people say about Fury, I'd be curious to your opinion is, you know, that he's very unorthodox and he does things differently, like similar to Ali in that sense. And I don't know if it was Dundee who said it, but it was like he does everything wrong, right, or something like that. There's some quote yeah. about yeah. like that. And it's, uh, you know, you know Angel was telling me that when he would spar, Muhammad would spar, 
if you told him to do something, he would not do it. It had to be his idea. So he would come to the corner after not jabbing, for example, and Andrew would say, wow, Chad, your jab looks so good today. <laughs> and then the next round, then Muhammad would get on the jab. But if you told him, start jabbing, you didn't jab the whole round, he would go out of his way not to throw any jabs the next round. And he never went to the body, which I thought was like the... I didn't believe them when they told me that. Andrew was telling me that, and I just... I had, to, I had to go watch the fights again, and he really didn't. He, he would flick his jab once in a while a little low, but that really is the extent of it. I know, and it's like, imagine being like, I'm not going to go to the body against Joe Frazier, a guy, <laughs> a guy who's just running you over. coming at you for – and, like, the, the heat of that fight, the thriller, like, that was 110 degrees or something in the ring because of the lights, too, yeah. pumping down on him. It was outside. It's like – and that was before they measured the humidity. Like now when it's in Miami, when it's 90 here, it says it's the, that my phone says it's 90, but it feels like 102. It was 110 legit in the ring with the, yeah. the humidity of, of the Philippines. It, who knows what it would have been felt like, not to mention their boxing and, and Joe Frazier trying to kill you. I can't even imagine. You know, another thing interesting, Andrew Dundee, I was, when he, we first opened the gym, the gym was not even built yet. We had like two folding chairs in my midst. That's all we had. And I have an MMA fighter named Lazar Stoyodinovich who really has good hands and he's been with me for a long time. So we got our mitts down, you know, pat where we got it all memorized basically. And I was doing mitts and Angel goes, what? Angel was very sweet all the time when he talked, but he, out of the blue, he's like, what the F are you doing? I was like, I'm holding mitts. He's like, don't ever hold mitts. I'm like, what do you mean don't ever hold mitts? He's like, when Michael Jordan plays basketball, does the net come get the ball? He's like, absolutely not. <laughs> He's like, the ball has to go get in the net. He what goes, the face is never gonna far only? The face is never gonna jump out and hit hit someone's hand. Your yeah. hand's gotta go get the face. He said, put him on the heavy bag. If he can't hit the heavy bag, he shouldn't be here. And uh, it was it was fascinating. And then we were with Emmanuel Stewart, Emmanuel Stewart, Miguel Cotto, and um, and Angelo. And uh, they brought in Angelo like as a consultant and Angelo you know, brought his little, you know, me, the puppy along to just was so excited, <laughs> so excited to be there. And he did a little filming of, of, of uh, Manuel holding mitts for Kodo. And as soon as the thing was over, he took the mitts off and threw them on the floor. He's like, this is not doing that. Go hit the bag. <laughs> like they were vehemently against it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think Floyd made it popular. You know, I've, I've talked about that before, but a lot of the like, – fancy mitt, mitt work with him and Roger and, and people just like thought yeah. that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now I have bad shoulders because of Floyd. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that's awesome to hear from that. And I'm sure Ali also, um, you know, he continued to train at fifth street, right. In Miami pretty throughout his career. Well, he had a camp house that he made right. in Pennsylvania. So he did that, but he, he always came back. And when we reopened the gym, like he was so, on, enthousi so enthusiastic up, about right? it. I'm sorry? Go on those long runs, right, with the – Yeah, over the bridge. It's a long way from Overtown, which was the traditional African-American neighborhood that all over to Miami Beach where the first time the cops harassed him, like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Fifth Street Gym. I'm with Angelo. And they're like, oh, you're with Angelo. Go ahead. And uh, there's, a, there's the Raven. Have you ever heard of the Raven? The Raven is a guy that's been running every day from Fifth and the ocean on the beach, on the sand, every day for the last, I think, 50 years with <laughs> pneumonia – hurricanes and the way he started was running with the with the fighters from fifth street 
No way. But yeah, they did an ESPN special on him. ESPN like thirty by thirty. He's never missed a day. His back is all bent up. He's an old man now. He never misses a day. Now he's down to a walk, but he walks like it's like. And people come from all over the world to run with him. It's the craziest thing. <laughs> did Ali tri- did Ali run with him? Absolutely, Ali ran with him. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So that's why I mean that's why Ali was able to uh, withstand that that heat probably in the Philippines, right? He's running Absolutely. in Florida. Yeah, yeah he. Ran, I mean, he really got his miles in all under, and he would run wearing sweatpants, sweatshirts, and combat boots. He and really sure put his weight down. His right? work. Keep his weight down too, because at times he seemed like he that was an issue for him, right? Later in his career, but at the end they had they he had a, some screwball doctor that told him that he had a thyroid condition. And he probably didn't. They gave him thyroid medicine. And I think that's when things really went south. Yeah. Um, I think there was a big mistake there. I, you know, I mean, I don't know, obviously. I'm, it was before my time. But from what Angelo told me and what everybody's, you know, talking about, um, that's, that's what the impression that I had. Well, I appreciate, you know, you taking some time to talk boxing. But before I let you go, um, you know, I'd love for you to sort of touch on maybe your top three, top five. Um, guys, you got in the gym right now. Um, I know you've worked with a lot of celebrities and things like that, but I'm more talking about, uh, you know, fighters. Obviously, we talked about Scardina and um, maybe some other guys you'd like to highlight. That, uh, yeah, I have, I have two more guys. I have that heavyweight that we're very excited about. He's a great guy, trains really hard. It's, you know, it's hard when Scardina's in the gym with you, it's hard to take a day off because I will bust your balls and tell you how Scardina doesn't miss. How could you miss? So there's Christian Toon, a 5-0 and heavyweight. There's uh, Nikolai. Uh, Nikolai is a Kazakhstan kid that fights at 135 pounds. And, um, of course, uh, he's, he's undefeated right now. He's back in Kazakhstan. He was here for a year. Um, we're working with him. We're very excited about him. There's another kid named Aronim that's from Romania. So they're all over my Instagram, these guys. Uh, yeah. They're all undefeated right now. They're very new, though. They're just getting their feet wet. But these pros from all the world come here, and they're getting in with them all the time, and it's been great. Uh, we have a, a, a cruiserweight that's 24-2 and two named Noel, Noel Gever that fought for the world title. That fought for the world title. Uh, it was DSPN had it. Dan Raphael had it. The robbery of the year. The robbery of the year. Uh, and he is a cruiserweight that's number nine in the WBA right now. And hopefully – We'll uh, we'll get another title shot. So these guys, we're very excited about all these guys. Great. So everyone, you know, go check out Dino's Instagram page. Um, obviously, for all of his content. Good morning, South Beach. You gotta love that. And then uh, you know he's posting about some of his fighters in and out of the gym. Um, so make sure to catch up on that. Follow him. And then uh, also good luck to you, Dino, as you're uh, flying out to an un- unknown location. <laughs> Hope you enjoy that trip. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to maybe hearing about uh, what that entails. Well, I'm always here for you, so I'm ready whenever you guys are. I will see you at the fights, hopefully the world title fights. Hopefully let audience in. We can enjoy this again. Awesome. So, everyone, go check this, check this episode out. It's going to drop on YouTube at The Pod Matrix. Make sure to hit subscribe. Hit that bell to get the alerts for the videos coming out. Follow me on Instagram, Brooklyn Boxing Podcast. Follow Dino. And uh, look for this to drop soon. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.